minds with the chip inside I can link it digitized out Which prior to this was higher than science could ever devise This is a neural interface We're gonna stick it in your face Still it in your brain and interlace There's an arms war on and we're gonna win the race Leave everything a race, bring the base Welcome to Dangerous Minds, where we delve into the minds of biohackers, grinders, and take a closer look at the tech being implanted and developed by this community. Joining us on the program tonight, Damien, a grinder and partner with DangerousThings.com, and Cooper, a sysadmin who lives open source solutions. Up first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Dangerous Things, who delivers custom gadgetry for the discerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at DangerousThings.com. If you or your organization is interested in sponsoring the efforts of Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at dangerousminds.io and or email us at info at dangerousminds.io and we'll be glad to talk to you about it. So this week on Dangerous Minds podcast, we have Lexi Linnell. Um, I hope I said that right. Also yeah. known of Wetware Grindhouse. Thanks for joining us today. Um, would you mind starting by introducing yourself telling us what biohacking, grinding, and transhumanism means to you and what you've done in your own grind. Um, thank you for having me on, by the way. I'm Lexi. I'm one of the co-founders and a software developer at the startup Grindhouse Wetware, which is a company that we created for ourselves in order to attempt to achieve the goals of biohacking and grinding a little bit more efficiently. Uh, to me, transhumanism has always meant the impulse that we should use technology to make us better than what we are, to overcome ourselves as humans have always done, but this time using it to, to become beyond the human species itself. Uh, biohacking and grinding are both attempts to achieve transhumanism in a sort of DIY citizen scientist uh, sort of thing. If you were to ask me what the difference between biohacking and grinding are, it would be that grinding is a little bit more specific. Uh, grinding typically refers to uh, creating implants, whereas biohacking is a bit more general. It can mean, for example, there's a project that allows you to genetically engineer bacteria to produce something similar to Prozac, and then you can put that in yogurt, and then it has an antidepressant effect. So that's an example of something that is biohacking, but not really grinding. All right. What current projects are you working on, and how are you incorporating them with uh, your implants? So Grindhouse Wetware has three current projects that we're working on. The first one is called Bottlenose. And the idea behind Bottlenose is that it's an array of sensors that you can hook up to an actuator, which is able to activate a magnet implant that you might have in your finger. So the idea is if you hooked up a rangefinder, for example, you would essentially have a sense of echolocation or you could use an infrared sensor to have a sense of heat at a distance. Um, our second project is called North Star, and it's an implant which, oh, it's an implant which essentially lights up underneath the skin so that you can see uh, lights underneath the skin and it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit aesthetic-ish, but in version two, 
we're planning on incorporating a gesture capture recognition so you can make certain gestures with your hand, like, I don't know, you want to flip something off, and it will be able to record that, and you could uh, potentially create an intelligent home mechanism that will allow you to, that will allow it to react to certain gestures that you make. And then our third project that we currently have is called Circadia, which is another implant which allows you to log various biometric pieces of data, your pulse, your, your body temperature, your blood pressure. We eventually hope to scale up to things like blood sugar so that uh, you can have a whole, huge number of metrics that you can track over time instead of just going into the doctor once or twice a year and getting these little snapshots. Now we have a much greater resolution. Now, you mentioned the North Star. Uh, version 2, I saw on Facebook advertised that y'all were looking for crowdsourcing ideas for shapes. Can you reveal anything about uh, that particular inquiry, uh, if you have shapes that y'all have picked? Um, well, our original design was essentially a star shape, hence the name North Star. Um, we were actually originally going to try to get it to fit inside of one of Steve Hayworth's star-shaped uh, implant encasements. Um, now we've uh, obviously moved on from that idea, and we're still, I don't believe we're entirely sure what the shape is going to be, but right now we're looking at something that's a little bit more of a, uh, of a round-ish shape, but I don't know if that's been completely finalized yet. So around this shape is uh, really good. So the listeners mostly know I've got a ton of piercings myself. The the body doesn't work well with corners. That is the one downfall. That's why the, like the micro dermals they've got the rounded edge to them, mm -hmm. uh, so the body can accept it pretty well, which I'm sure you know. Um, my question is: Are you aiming to make sort of a mini version? Because I could think of some really cool ideas to incorporate it with tattoos, um, for example, a wolf's eye. But I wouldn't want the wolf that big, um, having the North Star there, at that so size. The, so the North Star actually isn't all of that all that big. It's uh, around a little bit less than the size of a quarter. The last time I saw it. Um, but yeah, the North Star version one is essentially a mini version. It just has the LEDs. It doesn't have any other complicated stuff that might uh, make it a little bit bigger. Um, and people are already putting it underneath tattoos so you can have it backlit. But uh, right now, I don't think there's going to be any real problems if you put a version two underneath one of your tattoos. So what would your comments be if someone came to you and said they wanted to start biohacking, whether that be with uh, the North Star or a small NFC chip, what would your pointers be to that person? So if you want to start biohacking or grinding, I would recommend that you start out fairly simple and get something like an RFID implant from Dangerous Things, for example, because those aren't too complicated they're fairly easy to put in 
Other than that, the place I would recommend you start is with finger magnet implants. And for those people who don't know what that is, uh, you have a magnet implanted underneath one of your fingers and it allows you to sense certain electromagnetic fields. Um, and that's another example of something that's not very complicated to have done. And once you start with those things, you can start to scale up to things like North Star or Circadia uh, and send us your money because we love having money. Don't we all? We all have bills. So you, you just mentioned the uh, uh, magnet. Do you actually have a source that you would recommend? Because like, uh, there's a huge waiting list for DTs, magnets, what have you. Yeah, um, I don't really have too much about it. There are some uh, piercers and body modification artists like Steve Hayworth or Sampa von Cyborg um, who will put magnets in. They have their own designs for them for you. There are some other piercers that are maybe a bit less expensive than them. I know that a studio in Pittsburgh called Hot Rod Piercing does uh, finger magnet implants. Other than that, um, other than that, on biohack.me, there at least used to be group buys for magnets where you could get companies that make these things for a living for things like stirring magnets that are used by some chemists. Um, but they, it turns out that they work pretty well for implantation as well. And so you can try to start a group buy on biohack.me, although I don't know if they really do those so much anymore. So what would you tell someone that is thinking about getting their first, well, implant? Yeah, apparently we already answered that question. Sorry. Um, I'll just skip ahead and edit that out and get uh, Damien to go to his next question. Oh, thank you. So in your own experience, what does it take to get started? Um, what I mean by that is... Um, sort of emotional, um, mental readiness, also the resources that you're going to have, for example, wet labs, a citizen science, or maybe even a local hacker space, a biohacking lab of sorts? Well, I would say that if you're able to get a tattoo or any other piercing, then at least mentally you're pretty much ready for, for the more extreme implants. I would say most likely. Um, as far as equipment goes, you don't really need too much of a lab. If you're if you're if you're able to write software, then there's already quite a bit that you can do without having to buy too much, other than an Arduino, some basics, uh, some of the basic electronics equipment that you might want to have. Um, we always need more software engineers, or if you're an electrical engineer and you have access to standard electrical engineering equipment, then you would be very useful for that as well. Uh, hacker spaces also tend to have all the electrical equipment that you would need for this sort of thing. If you want to get involved in the biology side of biohacking, then you might need more equ equipment than you would need in you would need more equipment than you would need in 
just electrical engineering. You might need a PCR device. You might need various types of ways that you would want to incorporate genetic material into bacteria. For example, with the yogurt experiment that I noted earlier. But a lot of those you can find either find in a lot of those you can either find in hacker spaces or you can make them yourself. For example, famously, you can actually make your own PCR thermocycler out of just light bulbs and Arduinos and that sort of thing. So um, you bring up an interesting point of being able to write your own software. A lot of people are joining the groups now and it's getting to the stage where less technical people biohacking so they've got the interest in the technology and they want to start building stuff to make their lives easier so as a bit of advice to them what programming languages have you found most useful uh, for building tools that work alongside any body modification well when you're programming computer chips you don't have a ton of options you're pretty much your only Pretty much your only choices are C and C++ um, because those languages are essentially the only languages that are going to be efficient enough and have direct access to the hardware that you need to have in order to program an actual chip. But there are tools that can be used to make it easier. And the one that I can't recommend more is Arduino. Now, Arduino is both a hardware project and a software pro. Arduino is both a hardware project and a software project. The hardware side of things is that it has various chips that you can use, and it has. Arduino makes these little circuit boards that make it a lot easier. You don't need to know how to actually push software onto these chips. You don't need to you don't need to be an electrical engineer. you don't need to be a professional embedded engineer uh, and as far as career choices go, I don't recommend anyone ever be an embedded engineer, but uh, you don't need to be one in order to use Arduino because Arduino has designed their chips and designed their software libraries in a way that it's relatively easy for someone who's new to get into it. So if you don't know any programming right now, what I would recommend is that you buy an Arduino board and buy a basic electronics kit from something like SparkFun. Uh, and then once you have those, you can go to the Arduino website and you can download the reference software and you can find various tutorials or some great Arduino tutorials on YouTube and those will allow you to get right into programming these things. So back to your own grind, what can you see as being like your single best moment of achievement? Um, I would say that my best moment of achievement with grinding is, I would say that it is probably when uh, I would say that it is probably the Circadia project because uh, the Circadia project I think is a great uh, is a great project that is 
much more practical than any previous project, being able to log your biometric data over time uh, and hopefully being able to notice certain trends that might indicate that something is wrong. The ideal would be if we could actually predict things like heart attacks before they happen. But even without being able to do that, Quantified Self and anybody who is interested in anybody who is interested in having this complete record of all of their health data would essentially anybody who is interested in having a complete record of their data would definitely benefit from this. And I think it's far more practical than anything that we've done previously. And being able to capture some particularly difficult metrics like blood sugar, eventually we hope to be able to do spectroscopic analysis in order to be able to detect a wider variety of things would itself be um, would itself be a huge win for anyone with these things implanted. It's essentially a very high benefit ratio to the cost of having to have these things implement the cost of having to have these things implanted. So you mentioned blood uh, metric sensors. Have you been able to find any type of um, way of combating the clogging, the fouling of the sensors? Like you know, you're just a simple example, um, cholesterol, anything in the blood will eventually get, depending on the person's diet, get fouled and clogged up with cholesterol to where it won't really read what have you like current implantable uh, glucose sensors only last like six months because of that and other fouling as well. So the majority of our sensors don't actually directly interact with the bloodstream. They use some kind of trick, for example, spectroscopy, they'll shine lights on them and then analyze what kind of light comes back out. And then they'll be able, they can infer large parts of the chemical composition of the bloodstream from that. For example, our blood oxygen sensor works by using the red and infrared lights and it analyzes the amount of absorption between those two frequencies of light and from that, it can infer the relative ratio of oxygenated hemoglobin versus just regular hemoglobin that doesn't have oxygen. Um, blood pressure is a little bit more difficult to do. It essentially requires that you recalibrate it or it doesn't necessarily require that you recalibrate it, but you have to do a pretty good amount of calibration with an actual cuff blood pressure sensor before you actually use it. And the more times you do this calibration, the more accurate it gets, but there's a certain obvious limit to how practical you can get if you have to do this too much or too often. So that's one of the things that we have to work on. So how would you see the research projects that you're doing changing the association for biohacking, grinding, and institutional biotechnology and makerspaces in the future, whether that be um, the near future or the distant? Well, I would say that... <clears throat> 
what I would say is that these associations are going to have more of a focus on kind of implantable projects or other biohacking projects in general. And that's already happening to a certain extent. There are hacker spaces that actually have entire sections devoted to things like biohacking. And of course, it's not just limited to biohacking. People are starting to have a much greater realization about things that you can do without having to have access to some giant university budget or a national laboratory in order to do. In fact, one thing that I've been advocating recently is a kind of deal is a kind of DIY nanotechnology, which isn't the kind of thing you would think would be able to be done in a hacker space at this stage, but there are some interesting things you can do with nanotechnology without gigantic research budgets. My favorite one right now is you can make um, is you can make these things called buckyballs, which are these tiny little soccer ball shaped pieces of carbon that um, that are a little bit tricky to make, but it turns out that there are methods that you can use with tools that are available to a typical hacker space that you can actually use to make uh, buckyballs by yourself. Um, to go back to the um, blood pressure sensor, it just kind of boggled me for a moment. Uh, are you talking about like an actual cuff or just something that would uh, more just register the amount of pressure going through blood vessels? How, how would you, not to take anything proprietary away from your design, it just, I don't know, the physics behind it are making me go, um, excuse me, did you just say blood pressure? <laughs> uh, yes, I did just say blood pressure, but we don't actually directly measure pressure. We don't have a cuff. We don't have anything like that. Um, the way that we are in, the method that we are currently planning on using is what is called the pulse transit time method. And the idea is that we have two different heart pulse rate sensors in slightly different locations. And you can actually measure when a pulse goes from once, when the pulse registers on one sensor versus when the pulse registers on another sensor. You can essentially think about that as being the pulse travels from where one sensor is located to where the other sensor is located. And it turns out that the speed at which these shock waves essentially travel through your body depends on your blood pressure at that time. So you can infer blood pressure from that. So with all your projects um, you've mentioned, uh, what, what's the biggest impact that you really want to make? What, what do you hope people see when they Google your name? What I ultimately want to do is a kind of neural interface, um, essentially something that can connect directly to your neurons or maybe even the neurons in your brain at some point in the far future and be able to take information about what your neurons are currently doing and then take that into the cloud. 
and likewise take information from the cloud and being able to push it onto your nervous system and use it to stimulate neurons. So it's a bi-directional interface straight to your nervous system. And the ultimate end goal of this would be able, the ultimate end goal of this would be to be able to either create a kind of digital telepathy interface where everybody can just communicate with each other telepathically using this interface. And Kevin Warwick has already done some interesting experiments with that where he and his wife back in 2002 could just move their hands and then the other one would instantly feel when the other one did. So you can imagine that you might have a Morse code sort of communication interface where they can communicate, um, they can communicate across distances without even having to physically talk to each other. The other potential thing you can do with this, and this one's a lot more, this one's a lot more sci-fi way out there, but theoretically you could beam information into the brain sort of matrix style where you can say, I want to be able to fly a helicopter and then you can fly a helicopter. And I should mention that Grindhouse is eventually planning to do something like this after we've perfected Circadia and North Star. Well, I think you might have just answered this question, but what implant or modification, I'm going to say to that one, do you feel is missing in the world? What would you like to be developed? Um, I wouldn't... Like you can keep out any details of anything that you're working on if you don't want to disclose it. Yeah, I would say the uh, neural interface is the key implant that is currently missing from the world. And as I said earlier, Kevin Warwick has done experiments on it. There are already implants like the ones made by BrainGate that are already designed to connect to your nervous system and these are used by, for example, people who are disabled, who can't necessarily move their arms very well in order to communicate with the computer and have it do various things for them. But it's never been done by grinders necessarily, and it certainly hasn't been done to give completely healthy people the ability to just send and receive information, whatever they want, from their brains or nervous systems. So Tim, when we talked to him, uh, mentioned something about like a hope for creating a biohacking Arduino kit in order to make it uh, like an easier gateway for more people to get into biohacking. Is that possibly uh, still on the chalkboard or dry erase board? So whatever it may be for Grindhouse? Yeah, it's... Uh... It's something that we have been thinking about for a long time, having a kind of Arduino board that is specifically designed to uh, prototype and maybe eventually implant various implant designs that you might want to use. And we hope that this will make designing implants a lot, lot more accessible to people who don't necessarily have access to the same equipment or uh, connections that we have. Um, currently we are talking with another grinder named Rich Lee in an attempt to see if we can get this project rolling, but 
currently there's nothing absolutely concrete that we have. So um, we've mentioned uh, like a greatest hurdle um, or greatest advancement. Have you ever had a moment where something just uh, just made sense? Like uh, we tend to call it like a light bulb moment uh, when a great challenge or hurdle was solved. For that matter, when was the last one if you've had a few along the way? Yeah, um, we've had a number of problems with these implants in general. We've had another number of problems making them work. Um, designing implants is hard is basically what it comes down to. And that's part of what we aim to solve with Grinduino so that we can take what we've learned and we can actually uh, help apply this um, and we can help make it so that other people don't necessarily have to worry about all these problems that we've come up with too much. Um, electrical power for these implants is a bit of a challenge. We, um, right now, what we are essentially doing is we're powering these things with a wireless interface. So for those people who have heard of the Qi standard for wireless power will know what I'm talking about. But essentially the idea is that you have a, mini antenna on the implant and then you can have a similar antenna that's connected to a power supply and you can just charge the implant by putting it right on top of it. Um, eventually we might find some other kind of power source like being able to power it using your arm movements or, or powering it using powering it using uh, power it by creating a fuel cell that's somehow attached to your bloodstream and can actually take some of the glucose in your bloodstream and the oxygen and create electricity with that. But that one is potentially quite a ways in the future. Um, right now, wireless power works pretty well and we don't have any immediate plans to replace that, but we probably will change it to something more convenient eventually. Um, one ongoing question we have, um, we have is speaking about making biohacking mainstream. How would or could we overcome the challenges by keeping biohacking as a subculture? Um, I don't quite understand that question. So by being a subculture, we kind of open ourselves up to a lot of criticism and people throwing their opinions in a bad way. Whereas if it was mainstream, it would be um, much more widely accepted. For example, myself, I lost one job due to having a tag in my hand. Whereas having a tattoo, you don't lose jobs. So, so along those lines... Yeah, and uh, and Rich Lee, who I mentioned earlier, is actually currently in a custody battle where he's uh, potentially going to lose custody over his kids. And a lot of the reason or a lot of the arguments against him has been that he's somehow mentally unstable and unfit to actually look over his children because of all of his grinding projects. So it's definitely a potential problem. Um, 
I think what will ultimately happen is the same thing that happened to, you know, tattoos and piercings. Originally, those were very niche. Those were very niche things that you could get in Western culture. I think they started out in the, in the sexual revolution or somewhere around there. And eventually people just started seeing that these were pretty awesome and that everyone should get one. Well, maybe not everyone but that this was a thing that people could get and it wasn't really that big of a deal. Now, we still actually have problems with people who have tattoos potentially losing their jobs or not being able to get a job in the first place because maybe they have weird tattoos or tattoos in non-standard places, but we're getting there. I think these ideas tend to seep into culture naturally. And with grinding, we're actually doing things that are practical for the average user. I mean, Circadia by itself is going to possibly revolutionize the way that we do healthcare. If you can just go into your doctor and the doctor has a huge amount of your medical data going back for a year or whatever to be able to make decisions on, or you could potentially train an artificial intelligence to figure out what certain biometric signs might mean for you. And that's something that we also have in the works, by the way, using artificial intelligence to be able to notice patterns in the biometric data that you receive. Um, ultimately, I would say that even, even mods like tongue splitting are actually starting to go mainstream. And I would say that if that can go mainstream, something that can actually save lives will definitely go mainstream. So talking about this, uh, it seems like one of the major hurdles in <clears throat> dealing with basically society trying to see augmentation as more of a bonus, more of a boon to everyday life. Wouldn't you almost think at that point, um, gosh, I'm trying to, trying to phrase it. What do you think could be the easiest way to overcome this fear of augmentation, overcome, um, allow us, uh, dorks of the world as far as you know mark of the beast almost being echoed by just normal people what what would be your comment on that there will always be people who don't like new things in general and new technologies in particular when the phone was first invented everyone thought that it was this weird thing like oh my God, your voice is in two different places at once. That's going to be, you know, I mean, I don't know what they said it was going to be, but they thought it was weird. Or when vaccines were first invented, everyone thought it was going to turn us into cows. Um, and eventually, even these people are going to, uh, eventually, even these people are going to be using technologies. I mean, sure, there's always going to be people who are, anti-vaxxers or people who are Amish who are going to be opposed to these technologies or they're going to say that RFID is the 666 and uh, 
it's going to bring about the apocalypse. Um, but those people generally become fringe once everyone starts realizing the benefits that these technologies actually have. I mean, people who were railing against social networking back in 2003 or 2004, pretty much all of them use it now. So, uh, memes tend to spread throughout culture when they are recognized as good things. And they can spread pretty quickly, especially since the rate of spread of these memes is exponentially increasing now that we have the internet. And ultimately, while I don't necessarily take a just sit and wait approach, there is marketing that has to be done. But ultimately, if we can make people see the benefits of these implants, then people will eventually use these implants and the people who don't want to use them will eventually just become what uh, will just become what eventually we're going to see these people the same way that we see people who were afraid of the telephone back in when that was invented. So how are people able to keep up to date with your work and your projects uh, both personal and with Grindhouse? Um, with Grindhouse Wetware, you can always follow our Facebook page or our Twitter. Um, you should be able to just search for Grindhouse Wetware on either of those platforms, and you can uh, get... You should be able to just search for Grindhouse Wetware on either of those social media platforms and be able to find the official pages. Um, you can also uh, follow some of the. You can also follow some of the more big heads in the movement, like Tim Cannon or Rich Lee, and they tend to uh, keep up to date on all the news. One thing that I should mention, if you're going to be. One thing that I might mention, if you're going to be keeping up on Grindhouse Wetware specific things, is that we are in the process of rebranding and it's very likely that at some point in the future, these projects are going to be done under the heading of Scion Labs, C-I-O-N Labs. Um, so that is something that you're going to want to keep in mind. Um, if you, uh, uh, if you want to keep up on my project specifically, I do have a blog that I don't really update too much, but I've been meaning to get back into it. Um, uh, you can find it. It's on Blogspot, uh, Ian Mathwiz7, I-A-N-M-A-T-H-W-I-Z-7, um, .blogspot.com, and hopefully I'll start updating that uh, soon-ish. So we asked Tim Cannon the same question. We all spotted on Alibaba that there were fake North Stars going for $5 a unit. What, what do you feel to that? Because you've designed it, you've come up with, you've solved all the problems, come up with an awesome product, you're asking a fair price. Um, so in comparison to what you're asking and what Alibaba's asking, how do you feel on this? 
So we've investigated a lot of these fake North Stars and a lot of them seem to be scams. So I would, if nothing else, you should watch out for these fake North Stars because you might be scammed out of your money. I mean, that's just, uh, I mean, so I would say watch out for that reason alone. As far as how I feel about potentially legitimate fake North Stars that are being sold, I mean, we make all our, we try to make all of our products open source and we try to make it so that anybody could theoretically build these things uh, and program them if they want, or even build these things and make improvements to them that our version doesn't have. We believe in, a, in open innovation and that sort of thing. Um, but having said that, we do generally prefer that uh, if you're going to just buy an ordinary North Star or ordinary Circadia, that you support the official author. <clears throat> um, we would prefer that if you're going to buy an actual North Star or an actual Circadia, that you buy them and support the official people who release them. And ultimately, if you want to try to get one of these things built yourself and uh, do all of the pushing the code and sending these things to the PCB labs, then you're welcome to do that. Um, ultimately, we don't charge for the devices so much as we charge for the service of, you know, building these things for you so that you don't have to go through all the headache that we have to go through. But if you're going to buy them from... But if you're going to buy one, we would generally prefer that you support us. So you mentioned that uh, y'all were going to rebrand. Is it, there a backstory you can share us on, share with us on this? So I'm not entirely too sure how many details I can share right this instant about it. But as a general rule of thumb, we're trying to essentially get more funding so that we can do this for realsies for once. And, um, and we decided that we're planning on, we decided that uh, branding ourselves as Grindhouse Wetware is a little bit of an impediment to getting this sort of funding. Um, right now the plan is that Grindhouse Wetware is still gonna remain as a kind of think tank that is going to be uh, supporting Scion Labs, and Scion Labs is going to be doing the actual engineering work. And uh, do you have any questions for us, or any final comments? Um, I would say that if you're going to, for anybody who just stumbled on the grinding movement or the biohacking movement and wants to get involved, I would say play to your strengths. If you're good at programming, we could use more programmers always. If you're an electrical engineer um, or a biologist or uh, even if you're just someone who's a good business person or a good marketer, then you should try to use your skills as much as possible to uh, help us. And even if you're somewhat squeamish about implants and don't necessarily want to get all of those done, uh, there are still things that you can do to uh, help us. For example, 
a lot of what we're planning on implementing ties into the idea of the Internet of Things. In fact, to paraphrase Tim Cannon on this issue, the goal of grinding is to make us so that we don't use the Internet, so, that we don't use the Internet of Things so much as we're actually part of the Internet of Things. And I think that definitely rings true. So even if you don't want to work with implants specifically, you could work on something like the various IoT communications protocols or any number of things that will end up tying into that will end up tying into the grinding movement. So if you want to work on projects like Ethereum that aim to tie into IoT devices, um, you'll still be helping us even if not directly. Do you have any questions or comments, Damien? No, all of them were answered there. So um, thank you for that. It was, a, it was a nice experience speaking with you, Lexi. Thank you for having me on. Anytime. Definitely thank you for your time uh, today with us. Um, definitely a special thanks to Lexi Lennon for if you want to learn more about the journey we take weekly check out dangerousminds.io all of us want to thank our listeners for joining us as we further explore the tech and the people behind it within this fastly growing community of biohacking grinding network security and implantable technology today so please feel free to reach out to us with questions or comments you're welcome to find us at dangerousminds.io or facebook.com forward slash Dangerous Minds Podcast. And perhaps we might one day talk to you about the work and our projects you're exploring or developing. Until next week, seek the spark. Scientific progression is steamrolling, there's no preventing it going ahead. Now we're intrinsically linked with technology, biology as we know it is dead. <laughs>